for me, it's like truly a language that actually becomes better and better the more you use it. Whereas I don't think I can say the same about most I've used. Today, I talked to Justin Wu about PureScript. It's a strict Haskell dialect that compiles to JavaScript. We also talk about cutting avocados. Before we get into the interview, if you are a Scala developer, my team at Tenable is hiring. We are a distributed team working on static analysis of Docker containers for security vulnerabilities. Tenable itself is a great place to work, and we are looking for smart people to take on interesting projects. I will put a link with some details in the show notes. Justin Wu, you are a bit of an evangelist for PureScript, so uh, welcome to the show. I keep hearing about PureScript, so so what is it at a high level? Um, yeah, it's a functional programming language that's similar to Haskell and compiles to JavaScript. Um, I guess that's like the short bit, and the most distinguishing feature of it from Haskell is that it supports Role polymorphism firsthand. So, yeah, it, in that way, it's like an easier Haskell to use. What brought you to PureScript? For a long time, I'd been doing like only uh, JavaScript, and uh, before that, I did some Java, some corporate work. So, I wanted to get into some kind of like language that could teach me more and wouldn't just break if I wrote something. So I wanted something, some compiler to actually be able to give me like useful information for writing programs. Is PureScript strictly like Haskell for the client side or could you use it with Node.js or? Yeah, I mean, right now at work, I use it with Node.js and I've used it with Node.js for, well, the whole time I've been using PureScript. So instead of just being limited to the client side, or rather it's more fair to say that PureScript is a general programming language just a, like gives you easy FFI and into JavaScript. And it really lets you like firsthand fiddle with the runtime representation of your data. Is is PureScript just you know Haskell in JS or um, I, I mean, it's definitely easier and like the IDE tooling built, being built into the compiler makes it, uh, is a big factor for why it's easier, but like being able to work with anonymous records also just makes it much more easier to write than to like learn about like weird Haskell product type records and such. So I don't know. I mean, I guess you could say that it basically is Haskell and the and JS, but uh, I find that I find that the real type features just make everything a lot easier to use. So let's let's dig into that. So, um, like record types, um, record types are kind of hard to do in Haskell, but but something that's very easy, I guess, in in like an OO world, right, where you can have like a a person and an employee and and so on and so forth. So, our records. How does PureScript handle records? In Haskell, if you want to work with records, you have to like learn about how you have these. Uh, you have to have a data con constructor associated with it, and the position of the arguments actually matters. 
and that about how like the labels generate these weird static functions outside of, I mean, like it, within the module. Mm-hmm. Whereas in PureScript, when you work with uh, records, the fields can be in any order because it's row type. Like these these fields are completely, the, the ordering of the fields is completely ignored and only the structure coming together and unifying as the important part. So I think this is like the big thing that makes it feel more um, familiar to work with. I was coming from a dynamic background, so I wanted to work with like basically hash maps that were heterogeneous and uh, guaranteed for equality, if that makes any any kind of sense. Yeah, I think the I think bringing up hash maps kind of kind of you know put some meat on it. Uh, maybe we could go through an example. Um, so I was mentioning like a you know like let's say you have a, a a person record and a and an employee record and they they you know they they both have like first name last name but employee has like a start date um so so what does the um what does the row polymorphism give us here yeah and in this case you could model it such that uh any functions where you work with these uh it, sorry the employee was the subtype of person right the structural subtype or was it the other way around? Well, um, do they do they need to be subtypes? Well, um, not necessarily. So it it's you could write a function that says, okay, I can take any record which has this given label name with the type string, and then it's extensible by like any uh, any other rows. So you could like define functions that like work like this, and it's like kind of what you really wish you had when you work with normally type languages where you say like, Oh, I wish I could work with like functions that could say, I just need a class that has like two string in it instead of like this whole weird, uh, object hierarchy. And, and then, um, say if you're working with a person record and then you have a employee record, that's a super type of that structurally, so it has all the same fields, but then more. You could also like have functions where you define it as like uh, you want to work with any kind of type where uh, there there are there is some kind of union between the the fields that are in person and some kind of open uh, open uh, rows that can be defined by the concrete context, and this is like the type you want to actually work with. The I don't know if this actually makes sense when I put in words, but <laughs> if in, with like a crayon diagram, it makes more sense. <laughs> um, the part I understand is that I I could have this employee which has first name last name person which has first name last name, and I can have a a function that 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 operates on anything that has a first name and last name, right? And that that's the structural typing. Yeah. So it's like if you had functions that work on crayon boxes, you could define them as you you need any kind of crayon box that has blue in it, or you work with a crayon box where like blue and red are in it, and like there's a complementary colors that could be like an empty set of crayons, and all kinds of like fun stuff you could come up with. You can work with these properly statically typed records, but you you know 
you can use them sort of like they were they were like a hash map yeah i mean for me it's like what i've always dreamed about being able to use hash maps as I don't know. It's like, um, like if you define React uh, component properties, it's like there's like a there's like a total set of like maybe a hundred different attributes you could find. But I want to be able to pass in like records that I have like four of them. Mm-hmm. But then after I pass that that in, I I want to like have that concrete type information still, so that I can do like other things. Like say if I wanted to. Uh, I don't know. For whatever reason, if I wanted to take the same row type and like use it to uh, decode JSON or get the keys out or like compare between two different records, like the fields that have the same type, it's like I can do that. And if you have just like some nullable types, then it's just a whole bunch of like runtime checking, and you can actually like implement a lot of these as con- being concretely typed. You have a whole bunch of like maybe something everywhere in your in your record if you can't do this so how how is pure script implemented um like the language i'm, I'm the wrong person to ask about <laughs> that right because i'm like a enthusiastic consumer <laughs> um i mean it's a it's written in haskell and it's uh Fairly small code base, as far as I know. I think there's only like a couple, th- couple dozen thousand lines. It's not like a very big project. And I mean, as a result, there's a lot of features from Haskell it doesn't have. And then some things that Haskell has that it's kind of changed in some ways. So what what's the debug story look like in PureScript? Um, like if you, I'm assuming that at some point, you know, you have to debug something that it emits like the javascript that that is created out the other side of the compiler yeah um and for me i run into two scenarios where i do that right like so if i write my own javascript bindings like ffi then in those cases there are some like surprising bugs that come up just because of my own mistakes and it's like things that aren't like completely typed, even though like I could like treat it as foreign and parse the output and everything. There are some times where I don't care about the validation or I want to like validate it with tests instead of like having the validation cost every time we run it. So in those cases, like I debug it by uh, building the JavaScript output and running it through some like debugger, like VS Code debug mode or something. And then, like, because PureScript is one-to-one, uh, I'll put, well, not strictly one-to-one because there is, like, possibility for code synthesis through type classes and such. But because the output is pre- is predictable and it's basically, like, uh, one-to-n, like, you can actually follow the execution and you have to, basically the same names and everything and the same functional structures everywhere. So like debugging it, just the raw output is quite easy. Whereas like something with the with the runtime is going to have, make a lot of assumptions, and it's going to give you kind of like this garbage, garbled machine code that only specifically runs with like internal representations of data. But um, so that's like the main first case, and also. Personally, I don't quite use it very much, but there are options for generating source maps for these. 
So you mm -hmm. can source map uh, some of these like debugged errors back into your original PureScript source code with the like source maps, like if you're using like Chrome DevTools. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, like I said, like some people do it, but I personally don't have very much experience in it. And I personally don't really have to debug JavaScript output very much. And the second case that the debugging comes up for me often, or not too often, but sometimes is if I'm writing a parser and I accidentally like blow the stack or I accidentally write some kind of like uh, loop or something, uh, because PureScript is a strictly evaluate, evaluated language, like you just have these situations sometimes and you have to like figure out, okay, where did I mess up and like, do I need like monad rec or something to prevent it from blowing the stack or like what kind of like uh, horrible design did I come up with that needs to be fixed or something. <laughs> so in this case, it's like I debug the output, but it, even then it's, um, I don't know. I mean, it's like, how often do you write parsers is the question. I mean, like, sure, some people have like the philosophical question where like anytime you do anything with strings to something that's parsing. But uh, I mean, like if you're writing like code using like PureScript string parsers, which is like a, ver it's kind of like Parsec for PureScript. If you're mm -hmm. writing like Parsec combinators and such, it's like, yeah, you're going to run into that more often than others, but Usually, you only need to write a parser like a couple times a month or something at most. I feel like I, but I don't know. Mm. So yeah, you mentioned uh, stack overflows. So is that is that just happen with recursion, or you know, is there is there some sort of abstraction difficulties with going from a you know pure script to to JS at when evaluated? I mean, no, it's it's literally the same thing as what you would write in JavaScript. So like, if you just, if you have too many function calls, then like you're going to have stack overflow, like, like especially if it's recursive. Um, it's more like a problem of like, uh, like about three, four months after I started learning PureScript, I started using Haskell. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you write things in Haskell and it's just magically like performant and nice because of lazy <laughs> validation. So like coming from lazy evaluation parsing to like eager parsing is like, well, going from like pretty smooth experience to kind of a rough one. So those are like where I run to some stomach blocks. Pure script is, is strictly evaluated. Do, I mean, is that a good decision? Are you, are you happy that it's strictly evaluated? It sounds like you're missing laziness. I mean, it makes sense if you want to have minimal representation runtime, right? And like, there is no runtime for PureScript. So like, that's an actually like incredibly nice thing about it. Like it enables me to debug the input, the output like directly allows me to like write code that like uses the JavaScript representations more like directly without like worrying about some of the details. Like overall, it's quite nice. Uh, I mean, and there are plenty of people who will disavow laziness and talk about like how it's confusing to debug and whatnot. But at least for the main like casual software writers point of view, because I haven't used like Haskell in actual work for me, like it seems like the lazy evaluation stuff would be a lot nicer to have. 
Um, like in my experience, I, I'm no Haskell expert, but uh, I did find lazy evaluation to be to be a source of con- of confusing behavior sometimes with uh, like space leaks and and uh, things. So, I mean, I can see the I can see the beauty of uh, strict evaluation in, in a lot of cases, especially yeah when you're you're trying to do a one to one mapping down to to JavaScript. I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but like I I miss it every time I have like these alternative uh, cases, and it's like both branches get evaluated because of like my <laughs> own laziness. So I have to like find workarounds for that. It's I don't know. It's it's not very costly in the end. It's it's usually quite cheap, but it still feels like a bummer. <laughs> so you, you mentioned um, you mentioned. Uh... Uh, FFI. So, so calling out to JavaScript, how does that work? Uh, it's fairly transparent in that you write some JavaScript in normal ES5 and you just like use the normal common JS stuff. So you say exports dot whatever equals and then you give it a function. Um, the only like caveat, if you can even call it that, is that, um, PureScript affects like the IO in PureScript is mm-hmm. a typed function in a representation. So like if you want to have a function that like has an effect, then you shouldn't run the effect like eagerly, but return a thunk function that does the effect. But once you do that, then it's just quite normal in that you're you're kind of responsible for yourself and in like getting type signatures correct. But if you don't trust yourself about that, then like if you just get the arity correct, then you can use like this foreign type and you, you can parse out the output as you need. I see. So you mentioned the effects system. So, uh, you know, Haskell has a, an IO monad and everything that side effects is, is wrapped in that. Uh, how does PureScript work? Yeah, I mean, it's about the same thing. It, there's this f-type, and right now the f-type is a parameterized type with a row of your fx, and then your actual type uh, coming last. Um, but in, in, like, so the idea is that it's a phenotype where you can actually like declare like what kind of effects happen when you run a function. And in practice, this hasn't been so like nice. And it's been more of a nuisance for many. So in the next version of PureScript, we're planning on going into this effect type that gets rid of this row type parameter. So at least this like part will be gone, but then like overall, PureScript will still be a purely functional language, just like Haskell. Well, minus the like other bits. Well, I mean it has it has pure right in the name, so is putting down some uh, some stakes right there. So I had a previous interview with uh, with John DeGose, and he was saying that um, like when he he was talking about about Scala, I think, but he was saying that like rather than having everything, um, you know, like a function that returns an int with some side effect, rather than it being um, just like I/O int, that he prefers to to like kind of separate this a lot more, so that so that he might have you know a type class for for random, and it might return like random int, and kind of splitting the the I/O up into a bunch of different types of of side effects that could happen. Um, 
is is this what the what the f the eff uh effect is, is about no no i mean so f is just uh well it's just a phantom type so it doesn't do anything like different like there's no mechanically there's nothing different and there's just this type parameter that you use for some like simple like checking in the t in compile time but um the approach for using like type classes and other things to like actually like slice down like what specific operations happens that that kind of mtl approach does exist in pure script and there's like various like practitioners of this approach and there's like some helper libraries for that but the main f itself is just this phantom type and you can coerce the f type row into anything else like unsafely coerce it and it's just representationally it's the same thing like there's no difference i thought that the f type let you kind of subdivide the the types of side effects you, you were doing is so that's wrong um it well it basically lets you write like write notes in sharpie on a masking tape and then <laughs> tape it over something but it doesn't actually mean anything right so you can unsave the course and just like tear off all the tape and it's still the same thing <laughs> whereas like the really cool thing about like mtl based approaches is that like you can have the compiler synthesize the code for you that like gives you the code for running effects Okay, yeah, I understand. I guess if you're doing unsafe course, though, can't you, I mean you could do anything, right? Yeah, well, well, unsafe course F will just coerce the effect rows, and then the type of the actual like item inside will still be uh, checked correctly. But this will go away with zero point twelve, where we'll get rid of the F type and it'll be named effect and there'll be no more of this uh, weird row type uh, parameter. But uh, if, you do, if you do want to look for something that like hooks up like the correct uh, effect handlers with these uh, effect rows, uh, like, like say if you wanted to have console effects that you could send like messages to like what kind of like console effects you want to have when like instructions for what should happen. Mm -hmm. And they have like the interpreter for actually like realizing these uh, messages into actual actions. You might look into PureScript Run, which is a library that Nate Fabian made for doing this kind of stuff. Like this actual extensible uh, algebraic effects in PureScript. But personally, I don't have like any experience with that. I usually only use like MTL approaches or I use a free monad to do whatever, or often I just write normal programs in F and it's like writing a program with only IO, but I have like specific functions that are pure that I test or like uh, I care about. And then the rest, I'm just like, just doing some plumbing to make it all work. Yeah, that makes sense. So you kind of, you're just trying to limit the, the amount of your, of your code that actually does side effects and, and you can kind of test the the rest because it's all pure and and generally i'm also kind of like a believer in like actually clicking through things and doing integration tests so i would rather have a headless browser open my application and click around than to have like unit tests mm. not that like unit tests aren't 
like not that they aren't good it's just that oftentimes i end up writing these meaningless tautologies in, in <laughs> tests and i i really need to like write either property tests for these uh, or have some kind of like proof based system that generates routines and can like correctly do these or model it more on the types like usually i need these three things in addition to integration tests so you think unit tests are a horrible idea i got that correct right <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean because like the three things i mentioned do go into unit tests right it's just that like most of the time like if i had to write unit tests in javascript usually they're a poor man's type checking mm. like instead of being able to check like an entire range of values an entire domain of outputs i i can only sample it with like some horrible mini samples it's like i'm it's like it's like if i were making knives and i could only test by cutting avocado it's like how do i know if this can actually cut like uh some kind of pumpkin or something <laughs> if that makes any sense i don't know so in this case the avocado and pumpkin are, are two different types um or two different like values right like, oh, okay it, avocado is like something that's like trivial to cut oh, but a pumpkin depending on what it is it, it could be like quite hard like japanese couple chai isn't like the easiest thing to cut in the world yeah, the avocado pit, though, I don't know if you're going to get through that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I, I see what you're saying, yeah. Um, so, um, that, that's funny. That example kind of threw me off. <laughs> 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 so, uh, PureScript uh, does have some sort of property-based testing library, um, I think, does it? Yeah. Yeah, there are some various ones. Um, I mean, I usually write code at home, so I'm not using them, but I probably will end up using them for work at some point. Um, I'm also like a big believer in like writing something really naive at first. And then whenever I notice problems or I run into some problems, if they're like things that I that should never happen, then I, I want to model that in my types instead of writing some kind of test. So the problem with like, for me, for writing tests is that it's like, it's more work to write them to, to write the correct, write more correct types. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess one case would be like, say, I have this bit tracker thing where I keep track of like what shows I've been watching and like I mark like shows as being watched and whatever. And at first I read this like really like naively, it just like, each handler was like whatever effect type and then it just returned a string uh and then that string i would uh, send through like send back as a response but then the problem became like uh even though if i only returned a string then it's like it could be any string so i would often when i changing code around make the mistake of like applying the same handler to multiple occasions or just like returning the wrong type uh, altogether and then my front end would like make these requests and think that like they were supposed to be this other type. And then it would parse these. And then I would get these code batches that would always fail with the wrong like type. They would always say like, oh, we failed to like decode this because like 
it had the wrong type and whatever. And then the vice versa, the same thing would happen with my front end code where I would call for resources, but then like use the wrong URL. So it's like, of course, I'm never going to get the right like, thing back from the server when I call it with the wrong URL. So like to solve these problems, like I, I've been gradually upgrading my uh, VidTracker program uh, so that I have like more type level evidence about about what kind of things I'm looking for and whatnot. So like over time, I went from a model that said, okay, I'm just going to re uh, request at the string URL, and then I'm going to pretend the output should be this and then parse to that and then handle a successful error. And then moving all the way to, okay, I have a type level uh, type where at the type level, I know what request it needs, what response it needs, and I know statically what the URL string will be. So just like, I like moving more stuff to the type level because it's like, it's both documentation about like what I want and I could write more supplementary documentation on top of that. Whereas if I write it as a test, then it's like something I have to update and I have to like know more about in the future. Mm -hmm. If this long story makes any sense. No, it does, right? Uh, I forget who, who said this, but uh, like make invalid states unrepresentable, right? So it's like if it doesn't matter what language you're using, if everything just like takes inputs of strings and, and returns inputs of strings, right? Like, but exactly. Yeah. And I mean, do you know about my Twitter meme where I had the guy bicycling and they like puts a pipe through his spokes and it's like string to string to string to string. <laughs> and he's like lying on the ground and he's like holding his knee and he's like saying types are a lie. <laughs> you know, it's like if you have like very imprecise types and it's like, of course it can't help you. You haven't tried to help yourself or like you purposely hurt yourself. No, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, yeah. And there's also the documentation part you were mentioning. Um, also, right. Like, like a unit test can only show, I guess, the, the absence of a, of a specific bug, right. Where like a, a type, like if this is of, of type integer, like it, it just can't be a string coming in here. Right. Like the, the types prevent a whole class of, of problems where the, uh, a unit test can just check that one thing doesn't happen. Yeah. But then, like, yeah, continuing on that, it's like, if you don't have the refinement in there, like, if you don't say that it's restricted to a non-zero non or non-negative uh, number, then it's like, if you run into those kind of problems, then it's like, of course, it is going to happen. Like, the, there was no guarantee that this wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Or rather, it's not like, of course, it's going to happen, but it's like very well, like it could happen. And if it does happen, you you can't be too surprised. Um, like another case um, is say, like you have some sort of some type. So, so things can be like A or B. Um, but if you have uh, code that only handles the A case, like it, it's, it's still typed, but, but at runtime that could explode if it, if it hits a different, if it hits B. Yeah, like I, I, so I consider this like a total anti-pattern. And mm -hmm. you see sometimes people using like languages that aren't as powerful, like they write these cases where it's like the other branch just gives you back like junk or just like says like uh, debug crash, like this shouldn't happen. <laughs> but 
you know, if you write code that like type checks with this, then it's like mechanically it can happen. And like at some point it, it, it very well might. And it's just by crash. Of course, like there's like different ways of like then augmenting it with more types and like being able to like coerce certain values at certain situations because you know that you've provided evidence for it. But it's like, I think this very much gets into the thing where like, I usually say that like the problem with programming languages, like type ones especially, isn't necessarily that they don't have the features, it's that they don't have the right culture for it. So if you if you don't have like a culture of caring about like figuring out these things, finding about uh, finding out about these things, and like taking inspiration from other places, then it's like, of course you're going to end up getting like a lot of incorrect modeling everywhere. This kind of ties into um, like pattern matching and and like totality checking. So you know some very few languages do actually enforce uh, totality, so that you have to. You check all cases. Um, how about PeerScript? Does it have any sort of um, functionality in that area? Uh, I mean, so I'd have to split that up and say that, like, uh, yeah, I mean, generally uh, as a culture, PeerScript programmers care a lot about total functions and probably even more than Haskellers care about total functions where Haskellers accept that like asynchronous exceptions might happen and then there's different like thoughts about how to handle these. But in PureScript, it's almost everybody believes that like you should always only have these like total functions. Mm -hmm. But totality here, meaning that like, yes, like all exhaustiveness checks are done and then all like the, um, the obvious runtime errors are avoided and there's no purposely no triggering of exceptions and um, runtime errors, but you'll still have cases, right? Like it's the halting problem where like you, <laughs> you literally can't like just do everything on earth, right? So you're gonna you're gonna run into these like sometime, like like say when it, when you're writing parsers, recursive parsers, like if you don't use like monad rec or something then you might like get sacrifices and such and that's going to happen and like there's only a handful of, of like completely total languages that are used out there pure script does some totality checking then but not but not all of it is that what you're saying or i mean it it does the standard exhaustiveness checking but it's, it's just that um there's it can't check the totality stuff that isn't in the type system. Yeah. Right. What What were the stumbling blocks for you when when you came to PeerScript? Mm, I mean, so when I picked up PeerScript, even though I used Elm a little bit before, I literally did not know what like an ADT was. Mm. So I didn't know like what a sum type was. I didn't know what a product type was. I didn't know what a data type constructor was. Like there were a lot of things that like. People would probably laugh when they when they hear this, but I just didn't know them. And I I don't know. Maybe part of it is like my own fault, but it's also like I was never exposed to like the right terminology to even learn these things. So it, I kind of saw I, I kind of saw it as like inevitable that I wouldn't know these things. But like yeah, just like slowly learning like what an ADT actually is, what constructors actually are. Like those kind of things like took time mostly because I didn't ask anyone. 
But um, other than that, just like for the everyday coding things, uh, I think it's just experience really. Like it, the the base language when you use it to write applications isn't like too difficult, and mm -hmm. it's like just being more patient with yourself, thinking through it, and like not being too afraid to think about like the symbol substitution that goes on when you like have apply functions like map. Like if if it's like a like map is like it, it takes a function a to b mm -hmm. and they give it some functor a and it gives you the same type of functor back with b that's gone through that transformation. And like doing a simple symbol substitution like in, in your head or like just writing it out even. I, I sometimes write it out in that buffer, like these kinds of things. Like it's it's like uh I don't know. It's it feels kind of silly, but it's actually quite useful to like further your own understanding of it. So that makes sense. I guess I, I don't know if I have like a good answer. I think it's a good answer. One thing I was just thinking of is is like the fact that you that you knew JavaScript and you're saying that PureScript, you know, transpiles like one to one down to JavaScript. Like, d does that give you some sort of um, advantage? Wherein you're like, you you know, you can look at what this function uh, becomes in JavaScript. Like, sort of uh, the translation might might give you some insight. Is that the case? Mm, I. I don't know. I don't think that's happened to me. <laughs> no. I mean, like, I used the output to, like, debug stuff, but, like, when you look at, like, these functions being applied everywhere and passed around, like, looking at, like, looking at uh, how traverse works, like, mm -hmm. the, the function traverse, like, looking at the JavaScript output, even if you, like, prettify the names, it's, like, this barely makes sense. And, like... <laughs> It's it's still the same for me. Like if I had to write like functional JavaScript, it's like if it's like light functional or whatever that most people do, it's like fine. And then as soon as it gets like more hairy and like more into like code I would write at three AM in PureScript, that code I can't write at two PM with like a full cup of coffee. <laughs> right? Like this like functional JavaScript stuff like baffles me. Like it's incredibly hard to write all this stuff and like when people like talk about doing this it's i'm just like well like why this is so much more work than you need to do and like doesn't have like value it seems to me uh like maybe there's some some contradictory statements here because you made the case that uh like the translation from pure script to javascript is is very simple <laughs> but then you said you know when you look at the generated javascript like it, it makes you want to cry yeah, I mean, the individual <laughs> statements, like you can tell what where they are and how they map, right? But then that doesn't mean that the actual function, like applications make like a lot of sense. I see. So what's the story? Uh, like we talked about the form function interface, um, but like what about the types? So if I have a list in PureScript, is that is that like a JavaScript array or or how do, how does this translation happen? I mean, so a list is like a normal link list, right? So it has like a constructor, a constructor, constructor, or cons constructor. Mm -hmm. And it has like a nil constructor, right? So like these are represented in like uh, like normal JavaScript classes. And they have like uh, like representations in runtime values. 
So these aren't like too transparent. Like you can use them kind of directly, but it's not very like forgiving or nice. But if you like, say, if you use an array instead or record or string or whatever, then these are like directly representative. So like you can write bindings that work with uh, arrays directly, and then you can write bindings that are polymorphic. So like they work with any A, but to write actual bindings that work with list specifically is like kind of impossible or just not very ergonomic. But you you can use array and then that's just the JavaScript array. Yeah. And then if you want to write like normal algorithms and functions out of it, then you can, you can uh, convert it from array to list and back. And there's like functions that like are say in the foldable package where you say, okay, I know my array is a foldable and I know that list is a foldable. So I can say from foldable, uh, convert this to that and it converts the array to list and then you can do that vice versa. So like your conversions are like quite, quite easy because like all the instances that you, most instances that would make sense already exist. Are people writing things in PureScript and, you know, releasing them to the greater like Node.js community? Like it seems to me that you, that you could, right? That you could use this, these guarantees to write something that's really solid and then just release it as a JS library. Yeah, but I think I know of a few cases, like someone wrote like a generic uh, page scraping tool or website scraping tool and that was in PureScript and it has a good deal of numbers and everything. But um, other than that, like it hasn't been too common just because like, well, PureScripters pure aren't very good at marketing, right? Like <laughs> me included. Like I don't really like market my my material like very well. So just like even if you made a generically like usable lang library and you did like expose some kind of interface that could be used from JavaScript, it's just not going to be too popular. Mm. Like like this is what I think about like F, which is like. An incredible library, incredible library, and it's like much more efficient than like any other crap I use in uh, like normal usage. But it's just never going to be that popular, even if it has like a very JS friendly interface, because nobody is really going to like advertise it very much. And also, like at this point in JavaScript land, everybody just wants to use. Promises, even if they're flawed, and to get non-eager promises, people are just going to give you a thunked function that has a promise. So it's like it's it's like those, a lot of like the generic cases are already sailed in JS land. <laughs> so what's what's F? Uh, it's this asynchronous effect library in PureScript. So well, that's about the gist of it. Okay. Um, and, and you think it would be a good solution for, for just general node use, but it's not going to happen is what, is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it's like quite nice and you can spin off fibers from it and kill and manage and kill fibers. And it's, um, it's a nice way to be able to work with like asynchronous data, but yeah, it's just, I, I think it'll never be popular and well, understandably so. 
So do you think, how about the other way? Is it a benefit to you as PureScript developer that there's, you know, this rich Node.js ecosystem like that you can pull things in and, and kind of do your FFI stuff? Uh, so as much as I like PureScript, um, I have mixed feelings about that. <laughs> like even from vanilla JavaScript and like currently at work, I use some JavaScript libraries from uh, PureScript and I use them primarily on Node. Uh, I, I don't know. It's like sometimes the libraries aren't very well made or maintained or designed. A lot of times they have like too much like API churn where someone decides to just rewrite the entire API a lot. Mm. And a lot of times they're just like written off like one off like demos and that's understandable, but it's like then it's a lot of times like you only get like one or two solutions for some kind of specific problem. So I don't know. I don't know if I really like the node ecosystem so much, but it definitely is like convenient, I guess. So who should use PureScript? Who should use PureScript? Yeah. Like, um, you know, who you want to grow the PureScript ecosystem, who should be checking it out? What kind of developers is JS developers, uh, Java people, anybody? Yeah, I guess just about anybody who wants to write anything that needs to run JavaScript. So, <laughs> no, if you want to do front-end or you want to do Node or you want to do some small demos on Node on like either server or Raspberry Pi, just anything that will run JavaScript. And even, and also like if if for whatever reason you're one of the people who likes like small specialty languages and like developing backends for them. PureScript does have like kind of some support for being able to write backends generic generically. So like there have been people who write like C++ and Erlang backends for PureScript. So there is like opportunities for people who want to just tinker with their compiler. But yeah, the general user is just anyone who needs to write anything that needs to run on JavaScript. And then it's like it's programs and like synthesize routines that I don't, I I shouldn't have to write manually that will be correct. So PureScript has this functionality called type holes, correct? Yeah. And so uh, previously I had an episode about uh, Idris and we were talking about in Idris, you can have, you can have a hole, um, you know, you say, I don't know what goes here. And then you'll be told mm. the type. And then also they have like an expression search. So it could tell you, hey, what goes here is actually this function that exists. And I'm just going to write in the definition for you. Um, mm. Does PureScript um, go in this direction or? Well, it can't be as powerful in that there's not as much information to work with. But uh, like roughly speaking, I do use a typo, say, uh, typo feature a lot. I just write like question mark. I don't know what this is. Mm. And then the compiler can tell you like after searching through your uh, environment, like, okay, this these functions actually meet the requirements, like actually are the same type as that hole is. And it could use these functions properly. And then usually it's like some suggestion like traverse or sequence. And so I use it a bit but yeah it's not going to be anywhere near as powerful as idris but also i i don't have very much experience writing idris mm -hmm. and also 
I think PureScript has has like type class driving. Is is that right? Yeah, some of the type classes can be derived. So, um, I mean, like there are some like uh, obviously nice ones like being able to derive the new type uh, type class. So you get these operations that work on any generic new type. Um, being able to derive like equal or ord for a lot of like uh, very simple cases, it's quite nice to be able to like just drive these and like you throw your data type into a set or something. Um, for me, the most useful is the type is the ability to drive a generic rep. Is this like serialization or or no something else? I mean, it's kind of like serialization, but to like an actual like data type that's uh, derived by the compiler. Like just this whole topic of data type generics where you can generically work with uh, the representation of a data type and just like writes generic functions to those representations and let the compiler give you the stuff to translate to and from those uh, representations to concrete data types. Oh, I see. This is like um, this is like generic programming, like getting getting the first element of some product type, for instance, and, and writing it in such a way that it's generic across all product types. Or yeah, basically, like any product type where you derive the generic rep and then you use the function accordingly to convert to and from. So like uh, like GAC generics, generic rep, and I guess in Scala land, there's a few libraries that do this. Like like shapeless, I think is is in the similar vein, right? So so it it could be used for serialization, right? Because once you have that that generic representation, you could use that then to to derive some sort of serialization uh, yeah. code. And uh, like in Haskell, I've used it to like uh, just work with record types and. Um, create the deserializers for INI files and also like to do like uh, type level routes so that I would um, have the correct like types for registering handlers for Scotty uh, server like routes mm. and like just a whole bunch of like anything you want to do really. Yeah. Very cool. That's about all I got for questions, sir. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, mention? or? I guess I should shout out that I live in Helsinki and it's nice here. <laughs> um, I, I'd like to meet anyone who actually listens to this show from Helsinki because like, there's just so few people in Helsinki, it feels like. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so this is a call out for anyone uh, listening to this in Helsinki. All right. Well, it's been great having you on, Justin. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me.